Hey everyone, before we dive into today's episode, I want to share something with you real quick. This past weekend, Matt shared a story of Jesus leading his disciples to feed thousands of people he was teaching. And his challenge for all of us was to use whatever resources we have to meet the needs of those around us. Even if we don't feel like we have enough, even if we don't feel like we have what it takes. And if you missed it, make sure you go and listen to it. You can find it. It's called Rocky Message Podcast. And today's interview is a great example of stepping up and meeting a need, actually meeting lots of needs. Brian Mavis has a long history with Rocky, and a while back he stepped out to start an incredible organization that helps connect family with kids in the foster care system. His organization has grown and branched out into 10 different states across the country. It's huge, and we're excited to share a timely and practical example of how to meet the needs of people around us. Here is our conversation with Brian Mavis. Welcome back to another episode of Rocky Unscripted, where we talk about faith. When, Sean? When Sunday's over. There you I go. Got it. There we go. Uh, I think that is the first time that Sean actually knows. I was just not ready for that I question. Know. I, like, I like putting you on the spot. Yeah, there you go. It keeps us, uh, you know, a little on our toes. I almost said, Brian, what's the answer, Brian? Yeah. Oh, that'd be unfair. I, I like that answer. Yeah. So yeah. we have with us for the very first time, Brian Mavis. It's good to have you on the show. Love being here. Yeah, Brian is the president of America's Kids Belong, and we're going to be talking a lot about that today. Yep. Um, hopefully, if you're willing to, to share about it. I mean, that's the main reason we asked you to be on the show, so yes. hopefully <laughs> hopefully you're willing to share a little bit. Um, but good to have you back, Sean. It's been a few weeks. Yeah, it's good, and it's good to be with you, man. It's We connected over coffee um, a couple weeks ago, a yeah. few weeks ago. And we hadn't seen each other in years. It's been a long time, uh-huh. and we worked together for how many years uh, yeah. at LifeBridge? And yep. then, Wait, well, no, how many years did you guys work together? Was it, was it, about, it was about six? Yeah, I came in 2006, so yeah. six years. Okay, yeah. so you guys got yeah, to know we, each other real we well. we had an office right across from each other. Gotcha. Yep. Great time. This guy's super fun, crazy guy. So, fun story. I, I was preaching one time. It was one of my first times when, yeah, since he had got there. I don't know if you remember this. I'm walking through the lobby. I see Brian. I'm getting ready to get up there. I'm almost stressed out because I don't get a lot of opportunities to do it at that time. And he walks by and he goes, don't suck. <laughs> That was, was you. Like, I've heard you tell that story. I've heard yeah. you tell that story. That was before. Brian. That was Brian. So, so. yeah, he didn't. So, gift him encouragement. Uh huh. There you go. Well, thanks for lying. I appreciate it. So, is that like in a nutshell? Is that kind of your personality, Brian? Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> These sarcasm, pretty direct, but direct, but one of the most encouraging guys. Like. Uh, uh, I remember when I was getting ready to look at this position, mm-hmm. and and it, all all the leadership team knew that at LifeBridge, so the lead pastor, all that we were working through. You had been interesting enough. You've been on staff here at Rocky before. Yes, we're on staff at LifeBridge, the yep. church that planted us um, forty years ago. About and uh, he and another guy named Dan took me out, and I remember you very specifically saying. Um, this will be, I don't remember the exact words, but you even gave me a timeline. He said, you, you said you can do this. Like you can do this leadership wise. You'll grow into the preaching. You can do this. Um, but it's going to be this many years of this kind of work. Mm-hmm. And wow. then it's going to be this many years. And I think your timeline was, was right on. And then, and then COVID hit. Yeah. But I just remember probably giving me the courage to go do that. And partly, uh, this yeah. guy was a big deal in that. Yeah, mm-hmm. just, and it was courage, yeah, because it was like you're gonna, it's gonna be hard because you're you you chased a car and you caught it. So, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and but I I love Rocky Mountain, and you know I worked here from I think it was ninety ninety two to ninety nine. Okay, and loved it. You know, Alan Algren was the senior pastor back then, and so I love this church, and I 
I love that I got to then uh, work with Sean at LifeBridge. And so, yeah, a lot of, a lot of, you and, and Alan are still buddies. Yeah, uh, I, I see him. Yeah. yeah, I'm having lunch with him tomorrow. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yep. and your name came up um, in a meeting the other day that Amanda Rohrbaugh was in. And it's like, ah, oh, Brian, because you guys worked together. I think all those years ago, I, I baptized her. That's right. Yeah. She mentioned mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Super yeah. cool. I think you need to do it again. <laughs> I don't know who's taking so. I could tell, yeah. She's a little rough. Getting a little salty. <laughs> She's doing great, man. She's doing great. So, so Brian, tell, catch us up because you were at Rocky on staff. You were at LifeBridge on staff. Mm-hmm. And now, I, like I mentioned before, you're, uh, you're the president of America's Kids Belong. Isn't that right? Yes. So can you tell us what do you guys do uh, with our organization and just a little bit of what you guys are doing right now? Yeah, um, to answer that question, I'm going to uh, like tell a little bit of an origin story. So, uh, at while at um, LifeBridge, I was essentially the uh, pastor of community transformations, you know, and so we were doing all sorts of different things. And then, so uh, really focused on the community that the church is in. Yep. Okay. And different things that people could do to make an impact in the community. Again, that whole idea was like, hey, if our church disappeared. Um, would our community care and if it was gone or not? So trying to get the answer to be yes, they would care. And my wife and I were also uh, foster parents at that time. Uh, and, but we live in, we live in Larimer County and um, churches in Boulder County. And then one day I got a, a phone call out of the blue, um, picked it up the phone and it was a lady named Cindy who she said, Hey, I'm, uh, I work for Boulder County child welfare and I would love to talk to you mm. about child welfare in our County. I said, okay, sounds good. So a few days later I met Cindy in the lobby of the church and, um, she said, you know, thanks for meeting with me. I've been trying to meet with a pastor for three years. You're the first one to say yes. Wow. So I apologize that that been her experience with the church. She was gracious she comes back to my office and I find out why she was gracious. She explained that she had been a nun for 20 years in the Cabrini Green housing projects in Chicago. And uh, then she met a priest and they fell in love and became Episcopalian. And so, uh, <laughs> so first lesson for your listeners today are is love will change your theology. And so, <laughs> That's good. Uh, and so uh, I liked her and, and, then she goes, Brian, I really just came here to tell you one thing. She said, in the 26-year history of child welfare in this county, there has never been one day, not a single day in 26 years, where kids have not been waiting for families to take care of them. Wow. And she said, I have a challenge for you and your church and the churches in Boulder County. Will you help me change your weights? Will you help me recruit so many grown-ups that they'll step up uh, that they'll be on the waiting list. Families will be on the waiting list, not kids. Wow. And so, uh, and families won't mind to wait because then they know that there's not a crisis. So I've got this former nun asking me to help essentially legal orphans. And I know if I tell her no, I'm going to go to hell. <laughs> so out of self-preservation, <laughs> it really was one of those moments where it was like, I have a feeling that God is speaking through her. And the challenge isn't from her alone. And so uh, it was like, yes, um, I accept the challenge. And so over the next year, um, we did whatever we thought we made sense to help um, make this known. And we had a couple convictions. One was that uh, it wasn't that the families and people and churches didn't care. They were just unaware. Yeah. They didn't know that this was a problem. And the second uh, conviction was is that 
the families were in the church, and uh, they they just need to be uh, know that it was an opportunity. And the third thing was was that the best uh, advocates for the kids were the kids themselves. It wasn't preachers, wasn't politicians, wasn't recruiters, but these kids weren't given a chance to be seen and have their say. And so we said, let's photograph them, let's tell their story. And then eventually we got uh, to the point, this was a couple of years later, doing videos of these kids. But uh, fast forward a year, we increased recruitment in Boulder County over the prior year by 91%. Uh, we changed the supply Man. and de- demand equation. We had more families than kids. Uh, we also spilled over and started making a difference, my wife primarily doing this in Larimer County. And so uh, it was like, gosh, you know, this is really something that's uh, solvable. And um, now, a lot of times I just leave the story there and I move on to some other stuff. I, um, what we learned was then after a couple of years, the problem came back around again because um, inviting kids into your life who've gone through such horrible circumstances that they have to be removed from their families for their own safety. Um, they have trauma in their lives. And now you're mm-hmm. inviting that child with the trauma into your family it's hard. And so uh, 50% of families who sign up to be foster families quit within a year, their first year. Yeah. So if we recruited 100 families today, we'd have 50 left by the end of the year. Uh, and then two years out, we're down to about 25. Mm-hmm. Unless uh, those families are surrounded, seen, and supported. Oh. And then the retention rate is, goes from 50% to 90%. And so that's where, like, I think about the ecosystem of foster care. If you think of a three-ring target, um, the bullseye is the heroes. And that's not these grown-ups. It's the kids. Mm. They're the wounded warriors. And the battle they were in, unfortunately, was on the home front by people who were meant to care for them. And so, but they're, they're at the center. <clears throat> the next group out uh, around the heroes are the healers. Those are the families who not only open up their heart, but their homes to these kids to foster them and maybe adopt them depending on what the kid needs. And it really is important to have that healer mindset that you're not the hero. You're not coming in with a cape on your back, coming in, you know, bearing a cross there to help that child heal. And it's so hard though, that there's a big attrition unless you get that third group and that's the helpers. Mm. And you need I, three to one is bare minimum, maybe 10 to one, where you've got families saying, we care about you, we care about these kids, we care about this cause, um, but we're not in a place where we can open our uh, home to this child, but we're here for you. So um, I'm, you know, one family's going to say, I'm going to write you notes of encouragement. Another one, I'm going to pray for you. Another one, I'm going to do your laundry. Another one, I'm going to bring a meal once a week. Another one, we're going to help out with babysitting. I'm going to help with carpooling. Like, all I'm good at is math. Well, guess what? We need a tutor. Mm-hmm. Like, all that kind of stuff to be, and then those families are like, okay, I'm not, al- I'm not alone. And <clears throat> one, a line that we use is, foster care can be messy, but it doesn't have to be lonely. Mm. And that's why when wow. it comes to the church, it's not, not like a thing of like, well, this is only for like a, a couple percent of the people applies, and this applies to in the church. It's like, no, the whole church could step up and radically uh, change the fabric of child welfare. And then 
that spills over into a bunch of other social wounds. Mm -hmm. And so um, I have a line that says a good family is better than a great program. And so the programs I'm talking about are, well, um, there's kids kids who are in child welfare who age out without being connected to a family and they're on their own. Uh, they are they suffer uh, PTSD at two and a half times the rate of combat veterans. Uh, they're four times more likely to commit suicide than their peers. They're the leading group uh, that's um, vulnerable to human trafficking. Mm. Uh, they uh, lead, they're the leading group uh, into uh, uh, the homelessness issue. They suffer with uh, addiction far greater than their peers. Uh, the boys have uh, trouble with the law. About 50% of them uh, will have spent a little bit of time uh, behind bars by the time they're 23. Girls at 19 are three times more likely to be pregnant than the peers at at that age. And they're more likely then to lose their children to the child welfare system. So back into Back in and repeats the cycle. And so unless they're connected to a family, then that changes. So I think about, and, and I'm, Absolutely sincere. I hope everyone knows that. That thank God that there are ministries and nonprofits and organizations like um, Celebrate Recovery to help with addiction, and there's crisis pregnancy centers to help with those uh, unplanned pregnancies, and there's homeless ministries and prison ministries and all these uh, you know suicide hotlines and and human trafficking, say rescuing these kids. But wouldn't it be better if you could get a kid into a family so that they wouldn't need one of these programs mm. 10 years down the road? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the um, thing that got me. It wasn't just that it was, this was a heart issue tugging and all kids need families. It was like, it seems so smart. It was strategic. It was upstream. And so... Really, even when we were at LifeBridge, we had like a hundred different opportunities you could help out. You could groom trails. You could groom dogs. You could help out and fold clothes at a thrift store. And you could do this and do that. And I felt like we were a mile wide and an inch deep and said, said, if we could go on something deep and that would spill over into a lot of other things, what would it be? And came to the conclusion it was kids uh, from hard places. One of the things that, I mean, you fully embrace this whole thing. You're a dad Personally, of yeah. how many foster kids? We've, we've had nine uh, boys in our life from newborn addicted uh, babies wow. to um, uh, teenage boys older than my girls at that time. Uh, and then finally, uh, we actually had then a young man who aged out of foster care, autistic, uh, lived with us for four years, and now he's living independently. And and your daughter, and then my yeah. oldest daughter, uh, Ellie. She is she's been a foster mom to four currently, three living in her home right now. She's pregnant with her fourth, so she'll she'll have uh, uh, four. I mean, right now they're three, two, and one, so she'll have three, two, one, zero here mm-hmm. real soon. That's awesome. <laughs> so so uh, I'm kind of curious with you. I mean, obviously you're you're one of those people that actually is practicing what you you preach. What came first? I mean, did you start the organization and 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 then oh, start fostering kids? Like what? No, no, I had no no intention of starting anything, and so really, uh, 
this was my wife's dream and journey. And uh, her, her deal was when she was 16, living in Southern California, uh, a youth group went to Mexico to an orphanage. Uh, she was motivated to go there uh, because uh, there was a boy uh, that she wanted to be in the van with. And, uh, you know, God uses all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And some tacos down there. And But she went to this orphanage, and uh, she um, was watching these kids, and they're hanging all over and stuff. And she said, I, I heard the uh, voice of God. It was, it was inaudible, but it was distinct. It mm-hmm. wasn't from her. It was for her. And it was a three-word phrase, care for orphans. So I had my phrase, change your weights. She had care for orphans. What she did as a single woman, she worked on a couple of different orphanages. Um, and then when she comes back to the States, we meet, get married, I ruin her life, plan, all that. <laughs> and, you know, we have a couple of kids. We're living back in Southern California. This was after Rocky Mountain. And on the outside, everything looks great. She said, you know, inside she was lost and feeling like, what's my purpose in life? And um, she she just started asking, like, are there orphans in America? And uh, we quickly discovered the world of foster care. And while being trained, uh, one of the things they talk about right off the bat is, why are kids in foster care? And there's this myth that they're in there because of something they've done. It's like it's not something they've done. It's something that's been done to them. Mm. And said, you know, kids are in foster care because uh, parents are addicts. Uh, they maybe have trouble with the law. There's prostitution. Uh, there's been abuse or profound neglect. And as they're saying this, Julie's like getting this light bulb going off. And she's like, I was on an orphanage when I was a single young woman. And I asked the director of the orphanage, how did all these kids' parents die? And he mm-hmm. said, they're not dead. They're here because of abuse, neglect. Their parents are addicts, been in trouble with the law, prostitution. She's like, oh, my gosh, it's the same kids. We just Mm -hmm. call it different words. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing a lot of people don't realize is worldwide uh, orphanages, 80% of the orphans have a living relative. And they're either there because of uh, other circumstances, the most maybe – um, preventable would be they're there because of extreme mm-hmm. po- poverty. So you're, you're obviously so in, you've been so involved with the foster care system. Um, can I, can I speak from maybe a perspective of, of, you know, someone who doesn't know a lot. And I think there, there are a lot of people that would look uh, at the foster care system and situation and say, it's broken. Mm. It, it, it doesn't work. Yep. There, there's this kind of fatalism when, when it comes to it. How would you respond to that? I would say um, the way to fix it is uh, not to step away from it, but to step into it. And I think it is pretty hard to change it from within. And so I'm coming with the conviction. It might be wrong, but I'm coming with the conviction. If we can pour enough good people into it, we can conform it into a better image. And partly it's like, I mean, just to look at it kind of just real pragmatically and you know business wise you know if you get better people into it who are really advocating for the best for the child they're asking for better customer service and they're going to make they're going to get it 
I mean, and so we just need to flood this system with better people who will come up with better results. And so um, that's a lot of what I'm trying to do. Again, with this idea of changing who waits is, is if we get, because the, the brand of child welfare, I mean, if you think of like let, foster family, what comes to your mind? It's like, well, they live in a trailer park and have some teeth. It's mm-hmm. like, well, let's change that brand. And it's like, it's people, or people with, that are motivated by, I want the money from the government. Right? Oh yeah. So that's want, yeah. Yeah. I'm doing this so I can collect my $400 check. Yeah. And so we're, we're saying, no, there are a lot of people who are coming in with um, good intentions, good faith. Um, and they're probably coming in a little uh, rose, rosy eyed and romantic sure. and, and naive. And that's, you know, that's fine. You just, um, you just, you got a soft heart and now we just need to, Make it strong. Mm-hmm. And that's where trauma training comes in. That's something another we try to do with churches is we're trying to make um, encourage churches to be foster-friendly. Mm-hmm. And so the definition we've got for foster-friendly is a, is a church would be um, their children and youth workers and volunteers are trauma-aware. And that means they, that when behavior is happening that's not right, they can recognize it as being... Uh, caused by trauma, and they know how to respond to it. Uh, the second thing that the church will do is have a an ongoing support ministry for foster and adoptive families, so like wrap around, like I described, these helpers coming around. And it doesn't have to be that. It could be other things. And the third thing is that they would teach on it in a significant way uh, once a year, and they only have to do two of those three. And, and, and we're... So because there's this idea right now that I'm definitely a, a contrarian to this idea. It was like, hey, if every church would just take one kid, uh, then the problem wouldn't be solved. Because mm-hmm. there's 400,000 kids in foster care. There's about 400,000 churches. Problem problem would, would be solved. And I'm like, well, first of all, it works on paper, but it's not going to work on real life. Secondly, you don't want it to work that way. And here's why. I had um, a young family come up to me. And they said, hey, um, we've been a foster adoptive family for about 10 years. We grew up in this church. They were in their 30s. And they said, we've tried to uh, get something going here uh, and, and to get, you know, our own advocacy, you know, some support and help. And, and, and said, we're just we, nothing. We've gotten no, no support from our church. And the whole time we've been here, we've been trying to do this for 10 years. And... Then they said this, we feel so alone and our kids feel like they don't belong to the church because it's multiracial and, you know, they're the only ones that are, you know, in foster care. And then they asked me, what should we, what should we do? And I was surprised by what came out of my mouth. I was like, I came out before I even thought what I was going to say. And I was like, I said, quit rewarding bad behavior and find another church where you, you don't feel alone and your kids feel like they belong. And so we're looking for fewer churches to say, we're going to do it well. And when it gets hard, we're going to get better. And so I don't want 100% of churches doing this. I want 10% at the most mm. who will do it we're really well. In. Yeah, we're yeah. all in. Man, just to be vulnerable, I, um, I had a couple talk to me. Um, it was probably a year and a half ago, uh, maybe two years ago, and just, just kind of, didn't say your church is doing nothing. 
because the people in the church were supporting mm-hmm. them and helping mm-hmm. them. But why don't we have a program? And, uh, and, you know, I think you can speak to this. I think there's a lot of churches that are like, but we got all kinds of programs. Mm-hmm. We got all kinds of really good things that we're leaning into. And I may be victim, I've fallen victim too, to, to be like, I think that's not my, it's not been my story. It's right. interesting that it's becoming more of my story because it's my sister-in-law's story mm-hmm. and my brother-in-law. And I now have a niece that is, she's one of the biggest delights I got in, in family just and and now they're adopting her mm-hmm. sister, mm-hmm. and so it's it's a neat story. They foster, adopt, and and that, and and have been a part of that system and helping other families. So I've I've seen more of that, but it's not been a part of my story. It's like, man, I think we need somebody to have that story before we can lean in. And this family is like, or you could just read the Book of James, you know, <laughs> and like here's the gospel: mm-hmm. take care of widows and orphans. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's too convicting. Don't yeah. Don't I was like, that. hey, thanks. I, you're right. And I, I think there is a side of that of, because I have been convicted, even going into some other social issues of, you talk about, man, the abortion issue comes up and some other things. And I've had some, you know, I, I was watching a pastor in his social media and he said, man, we, we are for life. But here's the deal. If we're for life, we got to be for all of life. And we got to be for the families and the, and the women and the people who are running into this issue to be able to be there for them so that they don't have to make that decision. And we've got to have families in the foster care system that are that are taken care of and being there for for children who don't have parents. And it it is convicting to sit there and go, what what is what is our role in that? Mm. And and where do we need to be? It's not and I and I man, I think our churches, man, we are for I think our community would say, man, if Rocky wasn't here, like that language that you used yeah. earlier, mm-hmm. it'll be interesting for our staff to hear this because that's the language we use around here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it comes from you and, and from my experience at LifeBridge too, and uh, externally f- focused church stuff, all of that. It comes from that. I think our, our, our community would say, man, if Rocky was gone, we would feel it. But I don't, they would feel it from some families in that area don't know if I don't think they would feel that as a church and that's you know I don't want churches to feel guilted into stepping in this space and and then inappropriately called into it because it can again it can this issue can be romanticized about kids and it's hard and the passage in James James chapter 1 verse 27 is a pure and faultless religion that uh, you know, you get, you know, religion that God considers pure and faultless is to care look after orphans and widows in their distress and a lot of people read that and they think, oh, that's a care for orphans and widows. That's a command. And it's not written as a command. It's written as a illustration, a description of the gospel. Oh. And it's a gospel looks like this, you know, and it's, it's something that God would consider pure. So does that mean don't care uh, for uh, addicts? It, because it says right. widow and orphans. Right. It's like, no, it, it's, it's illustrative. And so if your church is really more kind of for whatever reason the story is something more like addiction then that's that's a beautiful thing too mm-hmm. that's a gospel i'm just convinced that foster care will lead you to people who struggle with addiction mm-hmm. foster care so i talk about foster care in a few different other ways too that are it's more church centric and one is foster care is discipleship mm-hmm. i mean in one way to put it is you want to make a disciple have a kid come live with you for 12 weeks, 12 months, 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't know if the kid will become a disciple, but you will. 
<laughs> you will you'll be on your knees more, asking yeah. for God's yeah. wisdom more. Yeah. You'll become more compassionate, more patient. Um, the second thing, uh, so foster care is discipleship, but it, foster care is also um, it, it's justice. It, it is it is this upstream thing that we've been describing, and thirdly, it's foster care is missions, and because you're going to interact with people who are struggling with trauma, whether, again, it's the child or it's the child's parents or aunts and uncles, you know, grandparents, you're going to, you're going to meet people who uh, are in trouble with the law. You're going to meet people who, uh, who got pregnant at 17. You're going to meet, you're going to have all this interaction with people who um, feel lost and far from God and and he need to know about the grace of God. Mm -hmm. And so, it comes down to this idea that I'm trying to get churches to flip the script in their framework and think not just that these kids need the church, it's that these church, these churches, churches need the kids to be the church that God wants the church to be. It having having this coming your in in a meaningful way will change the character of your church. Mm-hmm. And it'll, again, it'll be very incarnational. It'll be more real. There'll be, you'll have to dig in deeper. And that's the thing too, like there was a time when people, you know, asked like what I did. And I said, I'm a missionary to Christians. Like (laughs) I'm trying to help them learn how to be one. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, and and it's this idea of like, Hey, this is like, let's not play church. It's not play Christian. Let's, let's, it's do it. It's, it's go deep, do hard things. And, Mm Which is hard right now because a lot of people are weary of hard things. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that directly because you, you've you've touched on it already. But just to be really direct, I find my and just to speak personally, I find myself as connected as we are through all the outlets, news, social media, all the stuff, all the things. Over the past few years, especially, I'm just inundated with things that I'm supposed to be, uh, I'm supposed to care about. That I'm supposed to feel obligated to do something about, whether it's uh, racism or um, people in poverty, homelessness, um, even like crime, and I mean, and then you go beyond our borders and Ukraine, and you know, we there's just this overwhelming burden, mm-hmm. and I think what it what it tends to do is it makes me numb, and rather than saying, okay, what can we go tackle, it's like I'm not going to go tackle anything. Why? Because I can't figure out what I'm supposed to care the most about. So, can you? I think you were about to go there, but can you can you speak to that person who's just like, I am not doing anything because I'm overwhelmed with all the things. Yeah, I I understand that um, feeling, and so uh, one one piece of advice, and really this is, I mean, this is ancient spiritual wisdom. I, I'm not being kidding. I'm not sarcastic. I'm not a sarcastic person. Um, <laughs> I really, I'm, I'm not. I, uh, was that sarcastic? Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm honorary and cantankerous, but I'm not oh. sarcastic. Okay. Um, it's, uh, put yourself on a diet of news. Like it's, it, it can be, it's, it's a discipling form. It's a form of discipleship. You're being discipled by the world and it's, wow. it's toxic in, in, um, Right now, just general general anxiety, general stresses at such high, it's never it's such an incredibly high levels that it's 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 becoming culturally making a, the whole culture sick. 
So I would say um, turn it way down. Quit, quit watching and reading so much news. Um, secondly um, is um, just do the next small right thing. And um, Pope Francis, regardless of what you think of him, has a great quote. He said, ask Jesus what he wants you to do, then be brave. Mm. That's real good. And so just be a God, what's the what's the next baby step I can take? And when you're a baby taking that step, you have to be brave. Mm-hmm. And so take that next step. So uh, how we started, our original, after Julie's like, I feel lost and are there orphans in the world? She she said, I found a thrift store uh, that uh, exists to support foster families. Can I um, go and volunteer there full full close as if I could have stopped her? Um, <laughs> and so I and to me, it was like, that sounds safe enough. You know, <laughs> <laughs> what could that lead to? Yeah. And so that our first brave step was my wife volunteering to full close. The, the next brave step was signing up and becoming to be foster parents. Then our next brave step was bringing in a three-month-old into our lives and mm. falling in love with him, having our hearts broken when he got reunified, which was the right thing to do. We prioritized what was right for him. And it broke our hearts, broke our kids' hearts. And then our girls who were in elementary school at the time said, let's do it again. And wow. our girls learned a lesson that you can love, have your heart broken, mm-hmm. and heal and do it again. Mm-hmm. So take your next small step. Mm-hmm. Okay, so track that. You gave some steps that were the next steps. Let's go all the way to the end and just, just show what, just what can God do. Uh, you don't like sharing all the stats and bragging about, but I want you to share how many states are you in? Ten states. Ten states. Mm-hmm. Um, how much in your wife's program, where it's kind of the Make a Wish type program? What what is that called again? Dream Makers. How much has Dream Makers given away to help meet the needs and fulfill dreams of aged out youth? So yeah, these are the kids. Essentially, with America's Kids Belong, you know, we fail sometimes, and kids don't get families. And so my wife started something to help those kids. It's called Dream Makers, and um, she's given helped fulfill the dreams of uh, uh, well over a thousand kids. And it's been about $1.7 million. There's never not been a dream, not fulfill, fulfilled. Every dream has ever been matched. Yeah. So and all then, sorts of things. Ha- yeah. So 10 States. And then you and then think about yeah. all the people who have taken steps with you. Yeah. From one little step of her saying, God spoke to me a long time ago. Yeah. I want to go volunteer. To now. Yeah, so we've activated thousands and thousands and thousands of people. We've videoed a couple thousand kids. We've gotten, you know, and these are called the hardest to place kids because they're not little babies and they come with siblings or whatever. And um, we've worked with six governors, getting wow. churches to become foster friendly. Um, we've had celebrities join us and come on board. And it's tour, been, tour been a wild Chris ride. Tomlin. Yeah. All kinds of he invited things, us yeah. to tour with him for a couple of seasons. And um, it, yeah, it's been a wild ride. What's interesting to me, too, is just, you know, I mentioned my little niece now. Just looking at that kid 
and then looking at Eric and Becky, mm-hmm. her adoptive parents, mm-hmm. knowing that started with the foster care journey just because Becky had a heart, the same thing as your wife, mm-hmm. and um, looking at Josie's life mm-hmm. and what what has the opportunity to be mm-hmm. um, is pretty is pretty awesome. And yeah. then seeing another family that's been fostering, and now because those two are sisters, that family's gonna let go like you did and mm-hmm. let one be reunited with their sister. It's it's a pretty amazing story. Um yeah, and there's, there's lots of those stories. Yeah. And you know, it's um it's a beautiful thing. A lot of people, you know, I think, you know, rightly, you know, compare the adoption of like, hey, this isn't just like a social cause. This is this is a spiritual thing. This is a reflection of the gospel. We were adopted by Christ. But the the point, the first priority in, in foster care isn't adoption, it's reunification. And that is also a gospel story, being reconciled, mm. redeemed, reunified. Mm. And so you're striving for that and you're always putting the child first. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm excited too about the, you know, the potential we need to keep having this conversation and that, yeah. but I've even talked to you about some church planning things that are happening here in Colorado mm-hmm. and I'm in, you talked about, we need 10% of churches that will really go in. I'm excited about introducing you to some churches that may want to start with that value yeah. too. Yeah. I would and, love that. And have that be huge. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it forgive me if this is no, not the direction yeah. you want to go. But, uh, Brian, you can speak really candidly because um, the name of the show is unscripted, um, but it can also be like you can get a little rowdy if you need, if you need to because uh, – Here comes the swear words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just call it pastor. Um, we have a, right. I have a bleep I can, I can throw in. But go ahead and just let it go. Bleep, and bleep, I'll, bleep. And I'll edit it in later. Okay. No, but – and I'm not really – this isn't that. But you, you worked at multiple churches, and then now you're not on staff at a church. Is that right? Correct. Okay. So there, to some regard, you had to leave the church to go like fulfill this, <clears throat> this calling. And I'm just kind of curious, you, you kind of hinted at it before where, man, we'll get a hundred percent of the churches to, you know, foster one kid and they'll solve it. But, but you don't want that. You'd rather have 10% of the churches do a really good job. Where mm-hmm. do churches get it wrong? And, and, and are you, do you mean the word it and like, in a general sense, or are you, you do you mean something more specific about it when you say where do they get it wrong? Where do we get it wrong? Actually, yeah, let's go that direction. Where do we get it wrong in general when we're saying let's be compassionate, let's serve our community, let's make a difference? And at the end of the day, no, we're just singing our songs inside of our walls, yep. preaching our messages, and the community is not shaped. Uh, at what point or where have you seen where it, it, you say churches just don't get it? And And before you go there, like just just let it all out, like you said, because I've I've known you for a long time. You've always had you've been so good in church because you have a, a love hate relationship with church. Uh, yeah, I do. and I think you your <clears throat> hate part is is a little bit of that. You feel like churches should be deeper and different and go about the gospel a different way than what the American church has done. So let it out. What yeah, is it? there's uh, I do love the church. I sincerely do. people will be weird and I get emotional about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my wife's calling was to get kids into families. My calling was the church to be faithful. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's a few quotes out there and I quote unusual people. Um, uh, one of my favorite quotes is by Mike Tyson. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> you know when, 
everybody's got a plan. Then they get hit. And so that's one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> it has nothing to do with this. Uh, the, the other one is uh, from uh, Mufasa, uh, <laughs> who in uh, the original uh, Lion King, he, has, he appears as a, you know, apparition while Simba is running away, hiding from his calling to be king. And Mufasa says to Simba, you are more than what you've become. And I think that's an indictment on the church. The church is more than what it's become. Mm. It's become uh, something of a, a reflection of the world and, and it's been co-opted by politics and it has something that's so much better than politics and what the world has to offer. And it, people need to embrace and lean into the story of what God is doing, and they need to pick up and play their part. And it is to be a radical alternative. And if you want people to hear the gospel, you've got to show them something first. And so they've got to see, they've got to see it before they'll hear it. And we've got to be a true alternative. And I feel like um, the church has um, settled for too little, has been satisfied for too little, mm. and it needs to um, take on the incarnational suffering of Christ mm. and li- live into it, lean into it, and, and be a radical alternative. Um, I remember seeing a quote years ago by a novelist, I can't remember who it was, but it was, it was stark. It was, he said, any Christian who isn't a hero is a pig. <laughs> it was like, and, and then again, I, I don't agree with that either. But the sentiment was like, Christians ought to be like, just so different uh, that it's not heroic, but it's, it, it's a true, it's a true alternative. And um, again, back to foster care. I mean, we, uh, I remember again back in California when we weren't foster parents, and with another question we were asking besides, uh, "Are there orphans in America?" was, "How are we any different than our neighbors?" You know, when um, we go on vacation and ask them to put in our trash, take out our trash, and put it back, uh, they do that just like we do it. And uh, at Christmas, they give us better cookies than we give them. It's like. The only difference is we're gone for a couple hours on Sunday. It was like, mm. I think we should look more different. And again, I will say, though, again, no one is stepping up like the church. If this church doesn't step up to this issue, no one else is. Um, my wife and I were having a conversation a few weeks ago, and this is something that we've recognized now for years and years and years. There is a radical difference on how Christians handle and treat and give away money compared to non-Christians. Christians are far more generous with their money than non-Christians are. Um, it's uh, being in the position I am, the point of view I have, I get to see it, this landscape and gosh, Christians just treat money totally different mm. than non-Christians do. And that's so encouraging yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, I love the church, and my only disappointment in it is it it's been too easily satisfied. It needs it needs to 
get deep. Mm. Dude, that's that's good. That's really good. I don't even know how to respond, but that's good. <laughs> like, <laughs> challenging. It's convicting. It's challenging, big time. Yeah, mm-hmm. convicting, better word. And I think everybody wants to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah. So, um, you know, God loves us despite of what we've done, but um, he does want us to have a well-lived, fruitful, meaningful life. Yeah, yeah not a... Uh, Welcome. You made it by the skin of your teeth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well Good done. thing there's grace. Yes. That's, that's it. That's all you had. Yeah. You don't want you want to walk into heaven. God's like, well, you're here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I and I think again, people want meaning in their lives. And it doesn't have to be this. Again, it's I mean, maybe, you know, again, make that prayer sincere. Like, God, what do you want me to do? And you, who knows what it will be? It could be something about like go visit your next door neighbor, or, you know, pick up the phone call and make that call that you've been avoiding for ten years. Like, do the next right thing, mm-hmm. and let that journey then take its the course it's meant to take. Yeah. So if somebody is listening to this and they say, "Man, I'm I'm curious about that journey. I would like to to know more." Yeah. How do they find you guys? How do they figure that out? Um, how do they connect with Americas with Kids Belong, Colorado Kids? Yeah, yeah. I think one of the maybe easiest ways is um, social media. So if you can follow us on um, Facebook or Instagram at Americas Kids Belong. And then we have a bunch of state chapters, Colorado Kids Belong, and uh, Kansas, and Georgia, and Indiana, and Virginia, and Tennessee, and California. So we can follow the main one, Americas Kids Belong, and, and just kind of see – you know, learn little bit by little bit. It's kind of drop ir- drip irrigation of learning. And then um, our website, americaskidsbelong.org. Um, you can go and just, you know, watch these videos, read some more, um, and then, you know, just um, see see where that journey takes you. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, because I, I think they're, I think it'd be interesting. I think some people listening um, might even share this, and I would encourage people yeah. to, to share it with somebody um, who they know this might hit their journey. And I think it's a conversation we need as a church to keep having mm-hmm. and to say, what is God calling us to? Um, it's interesting. Um, uh, a guy named Roy Vaden, uh, he's got a quote. I was listening to him talking on another podcast. I thought it was super interesting. He said, you were uniquely positioned to help the person um, that you used to be. You talk about people finding mm-hmm. that next step and mm-hmm. where do I help? You know, it's interesting. It wasn't maybe a story that Julie had as far as maybe her family, but it was a story that she had of connection that mm-hmm. just pricked her heart and said, she felt like God spoke to her in that. Right. Mm-hmm. And that has expounded into now it is a major part of your story. It's a major part of your kid's story. All of that. I think for somebody looking for what is that passion for me? It's man, what has been that piece in my life? Like sports is a big thing for us. And mm-hmm. while I fully acknowledge what you guys have done with fostering in that that is much harder. But my wife, for her, she's uniquely positioned to help the person she used to be. That's a was, perfect example. Which was a teenage girl that, man, she was looking for somebody to tell her she was good at something, and she figured out basketball, and now she's expounded that into helping so many teenage girls find confidence and values and belief in who they are because of a sport yeah. and connecting that with Jesus. And we've seen tons of people come to Christ for that. Man, what is that thing for people that you uniquely are gifted to in your story to go back and say, and some people have this story somewhere they've run into this. 
and it's interesting how it's in it's invading our family and we're it's so, yeah. just falling in love with it. I remember you, I get it a little bit now. I remember you telling a story one time in a staff meeting. We were you were casting vision for this and you were talking about it may have been the story you shared earlier, but you were talking about giving that little guy back mm-hmm. and you just burst out bawling. And I'll be honest, man, I um I look at Josie and I look at that and I'm like, I get it. And I see. And uh, and uh, those kids need, they need people to care like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be be the person you wish you had when you were a kid. Mm. Well, Sean, thanks so much for introducing us to Brian. Brian, like I said before, I've, I've heard about you for years. This is the first time we've sat in the room and actually had a conversation. So thanks for being willing to have that first conversation with microphones and recording equipment and cameras and things like that. Yeah, totally normal relationship <laughs> stuff. Totally uh-huh. Uh-huh. Maybe next time we can just <laughs> we can just grab coffee or lunch or something like that. But thanks again for being thanks, on the Nick. show. Thanks. Well thanks again for joining us on Rocky Unscripted. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can go to Rocky.church slash this week. And no matter when you're listening, It'll always be up to date. We love to connect with you and love to serve you as much as we can. Please share the podcast, rate us, review us. That helps us be seen by more and more people. Love you guys. We'll catch you next time.